Speaking of the balm of Gilead, speaking of anxieties, worries, and fears, we're going to read and reflect on this morning one of the most marvelous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And I'd like you to open your Bibles to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 26. Uh, there are a few Bibles provided there with you, and it will also be on the screen. But I'll be referring to the verses throughout the message, so you may want to have your own Bible open. Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 26 through 39. And I would invite you to stand if you're able, as God's Word comes among us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us From the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who keep track, who write in the margins of your Bibles uh, what sermon was preached by whom, when, Uh, You will probably have lots of notes in your margin that Doyle has preached this text a lot of times in the years that I've been your pastor. I plead guilty to that charge, okay? And I'll probably preach it a lot more times. In fact, I was looking back through the records and I preached on this uh, same text as recently as last spring during Lent as we thought together about uh, the silence of God. But this morning I want to focus on a different part of this beautiful passage of Scripture. I want us to think particularly about that question that Paul asks, if God is for us, who then can be against us? And sort of center our thoughts right there. In fact, Paul asks several questions, uh, like a a lawyer who's uh, gathering up all of the logic, all of the force of truth, and sort of just surrounding people with these questions. And four times he asks, who? Who? 
who, who. He sounds like an owl. He's who, who, who. Who can be against us? Verse 31. Who will charge God's chosen with anything? The next verse. Who can condemn us? And finally, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He keeps pounding away with those central questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, in first century Rome, the early Christians had plenty to worry about. Uh, the empire was forceful. Uh, it was pagan. Uh, the Christians began to realize the more they followed Jesus that their values did not align with culture's values. Uh, they began to worry about all the things that you and I worry about, health and family and financial concerns and, and what the future might hold as, as armies and, and as uh, milita- military leaders sort of made decisions that impacted everybody else. They had lots to worry about. And you sort of get the feeling that they'd lost their nerve, that they'd even forgotten how to pray. Because Paul says in this famous passage, you know, when you don't know what to pray... You just let the Holy Spirit do your groaning and, and with words that are too deep for our understanding. Uh, but, but know that Christ is praying for you. And like us, they must have reached the point where they realized, you know, maybe my Christian faith isn't as deep as I thought it was. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get embarrassed at the shallowness of my faith. You know, I, I think I'm really walking with Jesus and then something comes along that really messes with me, or that's, that's a big worry. And I begin to realize that my faith is a thin veneer that can be rubbed off with the slightest upset. And underneath that thin veneer is just the rough stuff of an unformed faith. Worry is a, is a terrible Christian habit that we're all addicted to. Um, Many of you know the name Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she wrote The Hiding Place. She was a Dutch Christian. She and her father and sister ran a watchkeeper shop. Uh, uh, and, and they, during uh, Hitler's rise to power, they began hiding Jews uh, in their home and in their store. Uh, they were found out, sent to the Nazi death camps. Uh, her father died there. Her sister Betsy died there. Corrie Ten Boom survived, and she tells about the horrors of living in that death camp. I share that with you because I want you to know she's pretty credentialed when it comes to God taking care of us and learning not to worry. And she wrote one time, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. You know, worry doesn't help us any. It doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. But it does empty today of God's strength. Of the strength that could be available to us when we try so desperately to take things in our own hands. If God is for us, Paul says, whatever you're facing, who can be against us? And he wants us to focus on that. Think with me about the yardstick that is used to measure God's ability to help us. Or if you prefer the phrase, the benchmark. You know, where we say mentally, well, if God could do that, he can surely take care of my little problems. The benchmark in the Hebrew scriptures 
for the people of God was the exodus. When they'd face a trial or they'd have a, a worry or a big concern in their life, they would say to themselves, you read this in the Psalms and you read it other places, they would say to one another, you know, God's the God of the Exodus. He delivered us from Egyptian bondage. He parted the water so that we could cross over. He provided this land flowing with milk and honey. If God can do that, can't he take care of our daily worries? That was the benchmark. Later on in the First Testament, the benchmark was the exile, the return from exile. They, the people of God disobeyed. God allowed them to be led uh, by the enemy into a foreign land in captivity. After 70 years, God miraculously worked in the hearts of the, uh, of the ruler of the time and allowed them to return. And so they started saying, you know, if God could work that miracle and touch the heart of that leader to, to allow us to come back home and and be restored to our homeland, then God can do anything. He can fix our little problems. And of course, you know what the benchmark is for New Testament followers of Jesus, right? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul, like a, like a good attorney, is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God spared not his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Jesus Christ died for us, for our sins. He was raised from the dead, but that's not all. Paul says he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Paul says Jesus is even praying for you right now. So if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done all these things from the greater to the lesser... Why do we sweat the small stuff? Paul says, put your problems in perspective. The God who can fix the cosmos, who can forgive our sins and make us right, who can change death into a doorway of everlasting life, this God can be trusted with our stuff. With our stuff. I uh, really enjoyed the movie Bridge of Spies that came out, I think, in 2015, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, I saw it more than once because I wanted to just pay more attention to the directing and the camera angles and the dialogue. And It's a fascinating story, true story, about a, a Soviet spy who was arrested here in the States, and Tom Hanks plays the part of the attorney that was enlisted to defend him. And uh, this, this Soviet spy is just so calm and serene. His very life is in danger. He's probably potentially going to be executed if, if accused and convicted. Uh, he's so calm through it all. And finally, Tom Hanks gets frustrated as his attorney. And he, said, he says to the spy, don't you ever worry? And the spy looks at him and said, would it help? And I thought, whoa, you tell me, does it help? Does it really help to worry? But we do a lot of it. Worry takes up space in our spiritual hard drive. Worry takes up space in our spiritual hard drive that could be used 
to experience the presence of God. It gets in the way of truth. The truth is that God's in charge, that He gave us His Son, that He gave us everything that He's promised to take care of us. But that truth gets twisted because worry has a way of taking up the space. And that false anticipation of all the coulds and mights takes over. And instead of enjoying the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find, we find ourselves in all of our spiritual space taken up with worry and anxiety. So, as I read this passage, Paul doesn't use the word worry like he does in Philippians 4. He prefers to flip it to the positive. And so I want to do that in the course of this message. Instead of focusing on the negative word worry, let's focus on the positive word assurance. Assurance. Assurance is a good word. And if you'll allow me to be so arrogant, it's a Baptist word. Baptists sing and preach a lot about assurance. But you know, we don't talk about assurance as much as we used to. Because people who don't understand accuse us of being arrogant. Well, you're so arrogant, you think you're the only ones going to heaven. No, we don't. We're very humble about that, except to say that when we brag, we're not bragging on ourselves, we brag on God. We brag on His power to hold us. And the work of the cross and what Jesus has done. Assurance is a good word that we need to recover and dust off and, and, and ponder as Paul talks about assurance. In fact, when he says in verse 37, we are more than conquerors in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's a lot packed into that. It's not in spite of these things, but he says in these things of death and destruction and, and all these worries that we have, in these things, we're not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. And notice he does not say, the tense of the verb is not, we will be more than conquerors. He says we are, present tense, now, even in the face of defeat, even when Roman Empire was, was crushing people and, and destroying lives and creating worry and chaos, he says to the Christians, you are now victors in Christ. Not someday. And he says to us, you are now conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors. Not someday. It's present tense. It's reality. So, who could be more safe than someone in the hands of a loving God. And who could be in more danger than someone who walks away from that and says, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, um, after 9-11, uh, our state, uh, the people in charge of our capital and the safety and security of our capital uh, built this guard Station on the east side of the Capitol building that we drive, many of us drive by every day. You know what I'm talking about. It's like octagon shape or hexagon shape glass building there where the guards are. 
Shortly after it was built, I had the privilege of performing the wedding ceremony for a young man who was a Capitol police officer and worked as a guard. And he happened to work the Sunday morning shift. Uh, we got acquainted during the premarital counseling, and uh, he had joined our church. And so on Sunday mornings, when I drive by there about 6.45 of the morning, I would wave and say, hi, Brandon. I mean, just reading lips, but he'd kind of wave back, hi, Doyle. And I got to thinking about that. Not only do I feel safe that, that, that there's a guard there, I kind of like it that the guard knows my name. I kind of like it that I know the guard, that it's personal. And isn't it a marvelous biblical truth that God is not some far-off deity who has pledged to us safety and eternal care? He is loving Father. He is one who knows our names. And we know him in personal relationship. And that is far richer than some concept of a biblical principle of God from a far off point caring for us. So I wonder what it would be like if this morning each of us, me included, could peel off the worry layers of our lives and one by one really, really place our lives in God's loving, strong hands. We sing about it, we talk about it, we, we even pray about it, but I'm not sure that we consciously every morning or every evening peel off all of those worries and place them in God's hands and trust God with our deepest heartaches, burdens, worries, and cares. How would life change? How would your life be different if you came to the place where you could really do that? And in doing that, you could hear God whisper in your ear, Stop worrying. I've got this. Trust me. I've got this. Let's pray. Open our hearts, God, to the fresh work you want to do in each of us. Give us an honesty before you in this time of worship. Thank you for your sweet presence. In Christ's name, amen. Now before we stand in just a moment to sing during our response time, want to be clear about the invitation. It is an invitation for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not done that, to come to the place where you can trust him with your eternal well-being, to know that forgiveness of sins and that promise of transformation that begins as Christ comes into our lives. If you don't understand that, if you want to know more about it, I'll be here at the front to pray with you, to help answer questions. The response time is open to those who have church membership decisions or you come as a Christian and want to pray about a particular need or a burden or a special calling in your life. As the Spirit moves, we just want to all be open to what God is doing among us. Let's stand together. As Becky leads us, we invite you to come.